Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If you are not, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with academia, innovators, startups, NGOs, all looking for solutions to the greatest challenge of our time. My name is Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. We are going today to discuss small things that matter, and we are doing it with an expert that is coming from Iceland, and now she's based in the United Kingdom. Her name is Gia Aradotir, and she is a leading entomologist. She is a trustee of the Royal Entomological Society, and also a program leader and a researcher at the National Institute, Institute for Agricultural Botany. Welcome, Gia. It is a wonderful pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Samuel, and, and thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you and, and speak about this. Thank you, Gia. So, you know, your research, when I stumbled and we discussed about your research, it's really struck me because, you know, in sustainability, we are used to the big picture, the big numbers, the transportation system, the factories, but we forgot sometimes how nature works and which the small things that really sustain the cycle of our planet. And one of them is in agriculture, especially the insects. But before going there, can you tell us about yourself? Which is your background? Which is your story? Starting at the beginning, I grew up on a farm in rural Iceland where I was helping out with uh, herding cows from when I was about five or six years old and uh, and helping with the growing and the harvesting of crops and vegetables. And uh, and then I did travel the world and I went to university and, and I thought I wanted to go and save some endangered animals. So I went and studied biology and, and wanted to go and, and work with some nice cuddly animals like tigers or pandas. But in the end, I did some work in ecology, studying the ecology of insects and up in the highlands of Iceland for a while. And then I moved to the UK to do my master's uh, looking at uh, water beetles. And then I did my PhD looking at aphids in willow trees that were then being used for biofuel. And that's how I got back into agriculture and agricultural research. And um, and realizing the importance of insects in in agriculture, both as pests, but also as, as beneficial insects. And that's really where I've landed. I'm quite passionate about agriculture and the food system and the sustainability aspect of that. That's where I've really landed with my both professional and personal passion, I suppose. Wow, that is a very diverse and very rich. You have achieved a lot in the research. Now you have also the passion that is coming for your background and your early days in the farm where you were seeing also mother nature cycles in action. Oh, you know, the big problem is the population. Population is expected to grow to 11 billion and more within the end of the century. And one of the SDGs, SDG number two, is to end hunger. And to end hunger with a sustainable agriculture. I mean, the current pattern of agriculture, it's really, you know, chemical intensive, pesticide intensive. That is how the dilemma. We need to produce more, but we need to produce better and with less harm to the environment. And that is where your research, I think, comes from. 
Can you tell a bit more about it briefly and then we can discuss it? Because where and how we can really have sustainable agriculture, especially dealing with the pesticides and the insects? It's a really important point. If you think about a farmer and he's, he's growing crops and they've got so many considerations and um, one of which is insect pests in agriculture and a lot of yield losses happen before harvest. So both with pests and diseases, but also due to other abiotic factors like, you know, drought and the heat stress and, and other issues. And many of these then, you know, work together to or against the farmer quite often. But my focus within that is the insect pests and I focus quite a lot on aphids. And aphids are a problem both in terms of feeding on the plants and if you think of them they're, they're sort of similar to mosquitoes in the way that they feed with a stylet that they thread into the plant and they drink from the phloem of the plant and they get their nutrition from there but when they do that they they use their saliva in a similar way to a mosquito does in a human to keep the, that phloem element open and when they salivate into the plant they can transmit viruses and the viruses that they transmit into the plant are the things that cause the biggest yield losses. So there's a big issue there in terms of plant health that needs to be tackled. And obviously with uh, modern agriculture, you've got big fields out there and it's like a sweet shop for these insects. They have a lot of food there available to them and we need to make sure that we are helping to control this so that the farmer doesn't lose too much of its yield um, in terms of the food production. That is very important, especially taking into consideration the importance of wheat within our food system and I think also not only in Europe but within global scale. I think if I recall, it's the third largest cereal in the world for cultivation. It is the staple diet for many people. We think about from the pasta to the bread to, you know, to the chapati, the, you know, samosas and others in different cultures. And, you know, especially now with the transition towards a more plant-based diet due to the concern and the work towards decarbonization, can you explain us a bit how it works and how we can control these uh, factors that reducing the yields in harmony with nature without an excessive use of chemicals? We've used pesticides for a long time and they have helped us as well as the unintended consequences of them uh, being a bit problematic. But what people are doing now, and there's a lot of focus on more sustainable crop protection, and one of the things that we are doing and I've been doing a lot of is looking back at the plant and finding natural resistance traits in the plants that can protect them against these aphids. The way that we do this is that we go back in the case of wheat, but other people are doing this in other crops as well, is we go back to the old varieties. We go back to the land races that people were growing before the Green Revolution. And then even further back to what we call the wild relatives, that the small grasses that contributed to the plant that we know as wheat. We go back to these lines because that's where we tend to find the, the resistance mechanisms. And then I do that as the entomologist and I test this and, and it's sort of almost like taste testing. I 
present these these plants to the aphids and I see which ones are resilient or resistant against the aphids. And then I work with geneticists, plant geneticists and plant breeders who then can can take those resistance traits and and breed them into varieties that are more modern and are try to put those into the modern cultivars that then can be sold to the farmer. If we can supply the resistance in the seed and the farmer can be secure in the knowledge that their varieties that they're buying from the breeding companies is resilient against these pests and they don't need to spray. And that's the ultimate goal, you know, and that in itself is brilliant. You will never have a crop that won't have any pests. That's, that's very unlikely. But, uh, but if we can reduce the number of the pests sufficiently so that the beneficial insects that we've not talked about like the ladybirds or, or the lacewing larvae that like to feed on those uh, pest insects can keep the populations down so we don't end up with these yield losses, uh, then we, we get a much more harmonized agricultural system. And that's what people are really focusing on at the moment. That is very interesting. It's really such an important area which is often overlooked because we read on the press, you know, let's ban this, let's ban the other because, of course, of the arms, that what you discussed about the arms for beneficial insects like the predator or even the pollinators. But how we can also have a win-win situation with farmers, especially, you know, preventing them to lose yields. And this takes me to the next question because if this is relevant, you know, in the context of the established economies, where, of course, also farmers can have easy access to finance and support from the government. This reduction also on the dependence on pesticides and so the reduction of costs for farmer is even more important at the grassroots level here in the context of the emerging economy. Can you tell us a bit more how also how your result is impacting for example, the farmers here at the grassroots level in Africa. Yes, yeah, so I've done a little bit of work with an African breeding company where we were looking at aphid resistance for wheat that is targeted at smallholder farmers. And I think wheat is not the main crop in Africa by any stretch, but it's a strategic crop because some African countries are still having to import wheat because people want to use that for the consumption. We had this project where we were identifying aphid resistance in the wheat varieties that are being used in in Africa and uh, with a view to breed this into these varieties for the local farmers. And we always have to be mindful of using varieties that are locally adapted when you're working. So a variety that's bred for the European environment is not necessarily the the best suited to be grown in, say, Kenya or or Zimbabwe or or Brazil for that matter. So it's very important to keep that local aspect in mind when you're working. And as part of this, because it was also about capacity development, because quite a lot of people are not aware of the issues surrounding aphids and not aware of how to identify them, to know when when they are there, what effect they do. So, so we did quite a lot of training locally as well to help people be aware of the issue and you know, to work more. So that's all ongoing at the moment. And hopefully this will 
become part of the program generally to include insect resistance in wheat production in Africa. But I know there are groups in South Africa, for example, that have been doing this for the Russian wheat aphid for a long time and have got some really good resistance varieties that they use in their wheat production. That is extremely important because although wheat, as you said, is not one of the fast cereal, as well here there's production consumption of bread and there is also a huge import. So it really helps also the small scale farmer in Africa. And I want to ask you, which is the impact? For example, we have discussed now how this can reduce the chemicals of application and others. Which is the impact, for example, of a resistant plant and how far you can reduce your utilization of chemical, which is also can help also benefit the final consumer, which is exposed to less poison in a way? I think, yeah, the impact um, is on the environment is a great impact in terms of improving the health of the agricultural environment. And uh, it saves money for the farmer in terms of not having to buy and utilize the pesticides. It saves on the carbon footprint when the farmers in the more developed world are having to use big machinery to go over and spray. But there are a lot of farmers that actually cannot afford those additional inputs like fertilizers or pesticides. That So if we can develop and deliver that resistance in the seed, then that is not, it won't be a saving to them because they wouldn't be able to buy those inputs, but it secures the yield and makes it more likely that they will have a good yield at the end of the year. You did mention about it being a global problem. And what is really interesting and I find really great about this sector is that people from all over the world are working together. So I have colleagues in, in Pakistan, in India, in China, in Brazil, in Argentina, in Uruguay, that, and people are all talking together about the, the problems they're facing. It's really much a global effort in, in this research and in trying to make the most resilient plants that are appropriate for each of these growing areas. Wow, that is really interesting for me because we often overlook and we think, oh, these small insects, they have nothing to do about sustainability, they have nothing to do about our main challenges. They have nothing to do about the, the discussion about planetary boundaries. I think from what you have taught us, because that was a very interesting lesson as well, it's all the way around because we need to really rebalance. If you want to rebalance, and especially in the UN decade for restoration, if you want to rebalance the ecosystems, we have to look at all these small circles, all these systems where it works, the natural world. And aphids are part of it. And overutilization of chemicals have disrupted ecosystem in a big way. And especially, you know, in regards of pollinators, because that one was one of the biggest casualty of the utilization. It's really, for me, very important what you put, especially the carbon footprint, the work on the health of the agricultural environment. This is perfect in line with the SDG2 and we now with the broader sustainability objectives that we have. I think it's really, really interesting. And, you know, we always have to think about unintended consequences of what we're doing. And, you know, people are using pesticides initially in the best of intention, but we now know that there are better ways of doing things and we should reserve those pesticides for the absolute necessity where we have no other options and that, you know, use them very, very sparingly, if at all. 
I think people are very much on board with this and all the way from the politicians through to the companies and everywhere in between. And I think this is, you know, it's a really exciting time now to becoming more sustainable and doing things in a more holistic way. I totally agree with you. Now we have the technology, we have the capacity. It is possible to reverse the way we do things. Now, let me ask you maybe a more personal question. You are a woman that has achieved a lot. You know, you have done your research. You have also got an MBA. You are a leading researcher. You are in the Royal Entomology Society. So, you know, being a woman in leadership and especially in the STEM area, which was your experience? Which were maybe the constraints and, you know, the challenges that you had to face and how you have overcome? Because it's really maybe a man-dominated area and, you know, it's good to have a women leader. I've probably been quite lucky in many ways. I've had a lot of, you know, I worked with, a lot of very, very good people have had some really nice people to work with, supervisors, especially during my PhD, and also as a scientist, as I was, was going through. And I've had actually, maybe unusually, quite a few female leaders that I've worked with. But I think the importance of the network you work with is really, really paramount. That collaboration, science is very much about collaborating because especially in fields like mine where I'm the entomologist and I've got the expertise on the insect, but I don't know anything about plant breeding or genetics apart from what I've learned from my colleagues through that collaboration. And I think that is hugely important to work with people and the support I've had from people that I've worked for and people that have become my mentors and I've been very fortunate to be able to call on people for advice when needed and I try to pay that forward to people that I've worked with and people that reach out to me and uh, and support others where I can and I think that it's all about the community because you know, collectively, we can do so much more than we can do on our own. Wow, thank you so much, you know, because it's really the sense of community, the networking, embracing the other and working in collaboration with integrity and working together with them. I think that is a very good way, you know, to overcome with, with those barriers and really shine. I think you have achieved a lot. Your research speak for you and also the way you communicate very difficult things because, you know, talking about these problems for a layman like me, now I have understood a lot of these dynamics that before I was not aware. Yeah, no, thank you. The other thing that I didn't mention is when you are working in, in these STEM areas, there are a lot of societies, learned societies or interest societies where that I really recommend people that are starting out in their careers to join. Like I've been a member of the Royal Entomological Society pretty much since I moved to the UK in 2002. And the people there have been so generous with their time and knowledge. And it's just been a, a great place to go and meet people that are working in similar areas. And I think that's something that I would highly recommend to anyone to get involved in, not just your professional circle, but also in wider circle that relates to your interests, because that's also where you develop your network and your knowledge. That is for me, it's really interesting. As we are closing up the episode, you want to launch a last, maybe a message to the audience. I'm passionate about the food all the way from food production to cooking, because I, I love cooking, cooking for the family and friends. And I think a lot of people 
don't like insects just because they like butterflies but other insects not so much and I think uh, if we just stop and, and look at the environment a little bit more closely and look at all the different interactions that are going on around us I think we uh, we start to see the beauty in it much more yeah I think you know supporting sustainable agriculture where they can with their choices you know as users and consumers I think that would be a, a a great step forward. That is wonderful. Yet yeah, I think you have given up a wonderful lesson, and we are very grateful for this shedding lights to an often overlooked sector and an often overlooked problem, which is very crucial for our very survival because it's the food we eat, and everybody likes bread, pizza, chapati, or whatever other other foods it's really interesting so maybe we'll see you where you are going in your research maybe for a future for a future episode and i'm very very grateful i want to thank you from the deep of my heart for your research and your such an important work which is not under the spotlight but is crucial for our planet thank you so much samuel and thank you for this podcast i've really enjoyed the episodes i've listened to so far you know best of luck with it thank you so much thank you gia Thank you. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? In the next one, we'll talk about fast charging. Stay tuned.